AJ, and this is Bad People Book Club. Hey everyone, welcome to our podcast in which we talk about books with some real life discussion questions, a bit of booze, and lots of laughs. Hey everyone, and welcome to this episode of Bad People Book Club. Today we are going over Everything Here is Beautiful by Miranda T. Lee. Um, And I don't know about you, AJ, but I loved this book. What did you think of it? Oh, wow. I thought the level of detail was just so beautiful. I felt so immersed in the characters. Um, I was up until two in the morning the other night finishing. It's it's great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. I I think I read the majority of it in two days just because I was, I was so hooked. And just yeah. the, the prose is just absolutely beautiful. I just love that it's about you know, sisterhood, immigration, legality, um, relationships, uh, mental illness. There's just so much. The book is so rich. And I think Miranda does a really good job of breaking those things down to a very human level. Yeah. I don't know how she did it, but it, they're like, or Mira. Yeah. The, the, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the culture that and culture kind of intersects everything. And she manages to do that like through several different lenses. It was just really amazing. But anyway, like you said, it follows the path of two sisters, Lucia, who uh, is described as living with a pinball energy, which I just love that description. And yes. Miranda, the older sister who lives very logically. And like you said, AJ, as Lucia enters adulthood, she struggles with mental illness and her sister Miranda kind of supports from afar in Switzerland and kind of despite these struggles Lucia pushes through she makes some radical life changes on her search to find self-fulfillment and I don't want to spoil the ending too much in case our readers haven't read it but kind of in spite of the ending I think she does really make some kind of incredible changes as well Mm, yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting about that more with you. Um, great book. Amazing. Uh, self-correction. Mira is the author. I said Miranda is confusing her with the character. <laughs> it but... is confusing. We might do that but <laughs> more than once. <laughs> um, but Abby, what was your favorite chapter? This book is also pretty freaking big and it was so hard to pick a favorite chapter. It um, was. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think. So my favorite chapter was in part two, and it's the first chapter of that uh, segment. So this is the chapter where Manny, Lucia, uh, and Esperanza move to Ecuador. And you know it's going to be short-lived because you do feel that she's going through one of her manic periods. But I couldn't help but love it and just embrace it anyway. So there's so much high spirits and energy in this chapter Everything is colorful, it's full of flavor, it's full of this vibrant detail, and it was just so much fun to read and kind of so much fun to just celebrate that they are happy, truly happy, if even for, you know, a brief moment in time. Right. Uh, so there's there's so much joy and love around the family. Mommy and Poppy welcome Lucia with open arms, and Essie, she immediately becomes friends with Freddie, who is Manny's little brother, who um, I forget exactly what um, illness he struggles from, but he has some <clears throat> heart troubles, which kind of also affects the uh, his ability to kind of live everyday life as well. And 
you can just feel Lucia's pride as a mother when she says, this is her three-year-old daughter, unbuckled, unharnessed, hurtling down a dirt road in the back of her pick- of a pickup truck. Her long, dark hair flies free in the wind, lashes at her beaming face. Oh, if the mamas from group could see them now. Mm. And it's just this pure, like, lovely, rural experience. And she truly kind of gets to be a child and play and experience the outdoors. It's just amazing. I love Essie's character. She's she's so good. Yeah, she is kind of the hope, I think, that keeps everyone going from start to finish. Yeah. And I I mean, unfortunately, you know, that must take a toll on her as well. But it is so nice to kind of have that one character that kind of centers everybody else. Totally. So this chapter really reminded me of a word that comes up often throughout the book, which is uh, carencia, the Spanish word for place where we feel most comfortable um, and our most authentic selves, which I guess it's one of those words that you probably find on like a listicle online saying, oh, words we should have in English, because <laughs> I'm really connected with that word. Yeah, me too. So initially she's, you know, she's sunk in and really beginning to love the rural quiet life of the campo. Um, she embraces the family get-togethers and, you know, she truly begins to feel feel alive. Although, like, I don't know about you, but I felt stifled in those chapters. Just like every day the women were cooking, cleaning. There's always another party. I mean, yeah. I saw that coming from a mile away. Yeah, and I guess I did too. And I'm only talking about the first chapter, <laughs> the first part of this chapter, because I was right. like, just loved it. And then I think later on in this chapter, it begins to kind of talk about the monotony and the cultural differences. And I definitely couldn't get on board with that. And that would drive me insane either. But I also know that if I were in that situation, I'd be looking at it through those same like rose tinted lenses mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Lucia is at mm-hmm. least for the first couple of weeks. <laughs> and then I would be like, oh, okay, I've like totally worked this up. And <laughs> yeah, it's like the cultural shock. It's like the cultural shock, like a progression. I know there's a term for this model where you're like, everything is wonderful. I hate everything. Can I see myself here? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure we've both been through that as well. Oh, yeah. Cool. So what was your favorite chapter, AJ? So I loved chapter four, section four, because, you know, they're like those squigglies. And then I this was in part one. Man, Abby, this was powerful for me. I, I find this section to be extremely powerful. Uh, it takes place from Lucia's perspective. And growing up with so much stigma around mental health in the Latinx or Latin Latino community, it was really insightful for me to read the thoughts of Lucia. Like, we finally get to hear from the person who this book has been all about, Uh, about the issue that sort of seems to be eating at every character. It's like the elephant in the room. And we, you know, as a reader, we finally address it. So I was really looking forward to this chapter. You know, I've previously, previously struggled as I think so many people do with conceptualizing what it must be like to live life with a mental illness. And I think the author really eloquently and seamlessly put pieces together the multidimensional aspects of Lucia. You finally get to see her for more than her illness or more than just this euphoric persona. And 
it was really, it was really enlightening for me. Um, so in this chapter, she describes like the first time it happened, uh, which is something that I was, you know, I found myself extremely curious to learn coming into this novel with very little foundational knowledge. I was kind of asking myself the entire time, are there warning signs? What were the warning signs? Does she know or did she know when they happened? I mean, would, would I know, you know, also being in my late twenties, I know that most people aren't diagnosed with schizophrenia until I think it's after 25. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so, you know, this is something that, that is on my radar, uh, at that very basic level. So I found myself like curious about, you know, what are the, what are the symptoms? So I think that was, an, uh, you know, a whole other piece of this novel is that Mira T. Lee makes you realize that we're all so vulnerable and fragile and the mind is such a powerful and mysterious thing. And these everyday characters, I mean, they are us. And this was part of, for me, where I found the immigration story and the background to be super powerful because there's something about it that feels very ultimately like American and community oriented. And so these everyday characters to me felt like they could be our neighbors or they are our neighbors, our classmates. And they're very much like built into the fabric of our everyday lives. And so I felt like in the, in her technique, she really makes you personally invested in the outcome of the characters. And I know some of the reviews out there have said that it's like too detailed, but for me, that level of detail helped me feel like I knew them. Yeah. Really I well. felt the same. And I, I really wanted that level of detail as well, because I think particularly with an illness like schizophrenia, it's just, so probably misunderstood and I just wanted I wanted that personal perspective and you know I it might not be 100% right but I think um Lee did a, quite a bit of research on this as well so oh yeah I I really liked that level of detail and it helped me understand um Licia as a character so much more same and you start to realize that she never ever names her disorder or her whatever affliction. I mean, she, and I think that even further highlights the fact that we don't talk about this. I mean, it's not like someone who has, you know, experiencing issues with mental illness is going to be like, Hey, AJ, like, here's what's going on today. Um, <laughs> There's serpents in my head. Right. You know, I, so I really enjoyed being in her mind and, you know, Lee takes us through Lucia's logic for her moving, you know, around the country, which I found to be very relatable as we were saying earlier, having lived overseas in many different places, um, feeling like you are in your best self when you are in a new environment. And yeah, yeah, and so I really enjoyed being able to relate to her for that, herself for life. But then also you start to see her paranoia. And I, I loved this process. So on page 169, she says it wasn't obvious then that everything that anything was wrong. But the serpents, maybe they were born that day. And she's referring to her college days. Every now and then I'd hear tiny cries or whispers, like when background music played at a coffee shop or when air rushed to the trees. Too porous to catch, they slipped in and out. But slowly I learned to divine their special messages through the words on a billboard or a passing truck in the patterns of traffic lights. I mean, wow. wow. Talk about everyday experiences. And, you know, after you watch a scary movie, you feel like you hear something here and you hear something there. It sounds so normal. I mean, and it is normal, but it sounds 
I guess what I'm trying to say is it sounds like it could happen to anyone or uh, that everyday people do experience this. So I found it really effective at highlighting like the senses of the reader and building a whole new level of understanding. For sure. And it just shows like how kind of gradual it can happen too. like Mm -hmm. one day, you know, you think nothing of it. And then the next day or sorry, you know, a few months later or something, it's become something bigger than you ever thought it could ever be. Yeah. And I, I also really enjoyed how this chapter fluctuated with time. It sort of talks about the elusivity of time, which I think also has to do with understanding Lucia's sort of mental state and Lee kind of glides through a variety of times in Lucia's life, taking us from the thoughts of her now to, you know, the really present thoughts of, of uh, her sister and her mom, which are very pervasive throughout the novel. And, you know, it's funny. I found that while her actions kind of dictate different meanings to her family members, finally getting a chapter from her perspective, we're able to see the grip. I mean, at times it feels like a clenching grip that her mother and sister have had on her life, like her happiness and, I think sometimes she feels suffocated by it, but at the end it ends up being her will to overcome. Yeah, for sure. And you wonder like, you know, she's grown up in such a controlled environment. It's like, you know, I, I don't think you can really blame that kind of environmental factor, but then her illness ends up like providing such a stark contrast to that kind of control and logic that especially Miranda um, embraces. Right. And we can talk more about whether that's natural Miranda or how that plays out. Cause I think Miranda gets stuck in a pigeonhole too. Yeah, for sure. Well, great chapter, AJ. Thanks. Likewise. And now it's time for straight up our cocktail segment. This month's cocktail is called Tea for Lucia. I was inspired by the complexity and beauty of Lucia's character to create a fun, layered cocktail that changes color. A spirit made from sugarcane is common in Ecuador, so I chose rum to represent Lucia's time there. What's really interesting about this drink is that although the primary flavors are ginger and apple, the pink-purple color can distort your perception and make you think you're tasting something else. In this way, Tea for Lucia gives the reader a tiny glimpse into Lucia's world. To make this cocktail, pour two ounces of chilled ginger beer and one ounce of chilled sparkling cider into a champagne flute. In a cocktail shaker, add ice, one ounce of cooled butterfly PT, and one and a half ounces of white rum and shake until chilled. Pour the rum and tea mix into the flute slowly and it will float slightly on top of the ginger beer and cider. You can also use the back of a bar spoon to properly float the rum and tea. Now, slowly pour a half ounce of lemon juice into the flute and watch as the purple layer turns a bright pink. Give the cocktail a gentle stir and enjoy. So moving on to quick and dirty questions. All right, quick and dirty. (laughs) So the uh, first question is called The World Upside Down. So this comes from the first chapter of the book uh, in which Lucia is on a swing and Miranda describes her as kind of always seeing the world upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it might be cool to describe how this continues throughout the novel. Awesome. Yeah, let's do it. So what did you think was uh, one a great example of the world upside down? 
So the first piece that I selected was from part one, uh, the second chapter, where we're first introduced to Lucia as an adult. Um, she has married Yona, who we get the sense she has not really known that long. And you can tell there's a lot of love there, but it's just completely kind of like chaotic and haphazard. You know, they get married in a courthouse and then they return to the couple's apartment, which they call the organic kibbutz which is just above the cafe that he owns. And I think they call it that because of the kind of chaotic feel of the place. Yeah, um, shout out to all the kibbutzniks in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the two live together in this kind of like childlike harmony. Um, and it's totally non-traditional, but it's totally happy. And you can just tell that, uh, sorry, Lucia is most happy in this chaos. Like she, tradition, um, common sense, uh, doing things what in quote in the quote unquote a normal way is not of any interest to her, and you know she really lives in and sees the world upside down. Mm, yeah, that's so true. I, I would definitely say uh, that's a great example. I, I also was thinking um, the way Manuel describes Lucia in the same kind of exuberant way that Miranda does, like. When he is with her, he notices more of what is around. You know, she's just mm-hmm. so in tune. She's got this heightened sense of of all the gifts of Everything the world in a lot really. of ways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she 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 also turns worlds upside down, though. Let's be real. <laughs> That's true. You do feel bad for um, Manny in that sense. You know, he just totally wasn't prepared for her. Oh, not at all. Not at all. And I found it really interesting, the parallel in the way that sort of like Miranda inherits, you know, by no will of her own, this sister. Um, And and yet Manny also kind of like has no family and blood relation also brings brings her into his life as well. You know, once they have Essie, they don't stand a chance. But Miranda sounds like so she sounds like a joy to be or it just sounds like very high highs and very high lows. Yeah, for sure. And you just want, you just kind of want to be there for the high highs, but unfortunately like, you know, that's, that's not mental illness. And well, I guess we'll, we'll touch on more of that later. So totally uh, stay tuned people. So Miss Abby, if blank were a place, uh, the novel relies heavily on place and culture Describe each character as a place, if you will. Okay, so I guess I'm going to go back to that word, carencia. Uh, you the, love it. You love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to try dropping it in casually in sentences. Could it be like a, <laughs> our child's like, we'll make a pact to make our children this their middle name? Yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I can definitely fulfill that in a couple of minutes here. Um, so... Uh, I feel like Lucia's Carencia is definitely um, the city nearest the Campo, uh, which is called Cuenca. And I guess the reason why I chose the city and not the Campo is because, as you pointed out, AJ, it's very short-lived and she kind of begrudges the... Like cultural norms. Yeah, the cultural norms of the community. But when she goes to the city, it's this colorful Ecuadorian life that she kind of... Well, she she had lived there before, so she she kind of knew what she was getting into. But with the 
the kind of chaos of a city that she really loves. So I feel like she really kind of opens up and becomes herself here. She discovers a bodega owned by a Chinese man who she befriends, which is just like the perfect thing for her because she loves this Ecuadorian culture, but um, she also loves her Chinese roots and, you know, she's really into teas um, and kind of, kind of traditional medicine and things like that. So that's so kind of flourishes. Yeah. Um, She gets into writing again. She reestablishes her independence and also becomes more appreciative for motherhood. So although she loves Essie, you can kind of see her being dragged down by this need. Obligation. Yeah. Obligation to support her. And when she's able to go into the city and live her own life, she's able to take that appreciation for motherhood so much more seriously. So, yeah, so I think Lucia would be a Cuenca. Yeah, you know, when she, like, describes meeting the Chinese man and feeling super connected and, you know, there's just this great passage on that. I just, for, for me, I completely related it to when me and my friend Shumika discovered like salsa at the Ritz Carlton in Indonesia, you know, like <laughs> I went to that too. Oh my God. It was awesome. Also, if you don't know, like Indonesians can tear they up a can. rug. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I won't talk about the, the shameless break, terrible break dancing I did at, what was that? Was it X2? What was, there was like oh. a club. A world club there. Um, <laughs> I think that was X2, but I can't go put me on that. Good times, good times. But, you know, when you find that piece of your inner self in a new environment, sometimes I think it takes you being so removed from your comfort level to, you know, all the things that define you and make you who you are. I think sometimes it takes removing yourself from those things to really be centered on who you are, if that makes any sense. Um, for sure. I feel most, sometimes it take. I have felt anyway that sometimes to get closest to who I am, I need to be removed from everything that I think makes me up. Yeah, and then you slowly come crawling back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, and, and that's the whole like, time establishing a level of fondness right it's like the way she appreciates essie by not being around her it's weird how we are as humans so what about you aj if you were to describe yona as a place what would you choose for a his credencia if you will man i can't think of another place where yona is more in his element than in the cafe slash market kibbutznik type of place or that he <laughs> the kibbutz place he had in in queens um this is where the title of the book actually comes from he describes it as everything is beautiful here and i think that piece of yona is what ultimately draws lucia to him and miranda i mean yona is like the only character who bridges these people aside from Essie and it's really fascinating to think how much they have in common Essie and him when they're not related at all but the market is surrounded by halal butchers and you know Egyptian barbers and Salvadorian cooks and old Chinese grocers no place like New York Um, (laughs) and it represents like all of Yona's lovable sort of idiosyncrasies and quirks Um, it's the sort of urban oasis uh, where they listen to like Moby or Ella Fitzgerald and they have poetry slams and serve vegan food. And, you know, it's just really such a peaceful place where I feel like 
you know, uh, Hemingway would want to go. <laughs> yeah, a movable feast. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, I have this idea. Like, we should just do this. Like, everything, anything goes, as you said. And um, they're basically just able to, like, squeeze who they are as people into this cafe and market and you can see the community really build around it because it is so truly them as well yeah and you know speaking of the immigration piece because i know that you know that that's a big portion of the book but part of why i think it's important is because i feel like the characters the, the piece that feels so so relatable and in some ways like quintessentially american is that it's not like they all have one, they've all come and sort of like assimilated to this idea. But in in fact, part of what makes everything beautiful there is that everyone has kept their very distinct culture. And mm. it's sort of this like beautiful patchwork place that's made up of everybody's, you know, fav- you know, uh, pieces of who they are. And so I really love that, that it was like, you know, there's, I know this is so weedy, but there's like the distinction between the phrase of uh, a melting pot and a salad, you know, when we <laughs> talk about like cultural diversity and I, I, part of what I love was the representation of this as a salad, you know, people are bringing who they are to the table as opposed to kind of melting into this homogenous group. And of course, everything's beautiful there. You've got people bringing their, what they're most proud of into this, into the place, into the scene, you know? Yeah, that's such a cool way to look at it. So moving on to our next question called Many Faces. So Lucia calls her illness Many Faces. Mm. Um, And I guess Lucia kind of gets the most attention for this, but I think a lot of the other characters also have Many Faces. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd start off with kind of describing the Many Faces of Manuel. Yeah. we've We've already kind of touched on this, but... You know, Manuel was not prepared for Alicia. He meets her in a laundromat. You know, she's got this amazing energy. She's, and boobs. <laughs> she's beautiful. She's sexy. Like, of course, he's going to, like, go for that. And, you know, she brings him into her world. And I think she's, like, moved in within, like, two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have a baby. And, you know, then she starts going through... Um, her mental illness, which is something that Manuel just really does not understand. Um, as you kind of referenced earlier, like in the Latino community, they, there's just um, not much discussion of it. And you can tell that he really has no experience with this whatsoever. And this kind of, you know, he his obligation is Lucia. Well, actually, his obli- I think his primary driver is Essie. But, you know, he... Lucia is his obligation as well, and he really does what wants best for her. He wants to take care of her, but he does need to do things for himself as well. And so he does have several affairs throughout the novel. I'm forgetting the name of the Susie? character that Susie, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the Shout out to Susie. Susie. <laughs> There's some actual kind of love there. And while this is deceptive toward Lucia, like, I can't really blame the guy. Like, (laughs) he's gone through this really big struggle. And you can, I think it's pointed out in the book that, you know, he never really has said that he loves her. And I think, you know, by the end of the book, 
um, you know, in their time together, he really does love her, but it's out of that. It's the same way that you love a sister, that you love a mother. Mm. It is kind of through that sense of obligation. And we do kind of see the change in Manuel from his withdrawn uh, demeanor in New York, where he's, you know, he's the immigrant. He doesn't feel in control of his surroundings. Um, he doesn't, you know, feel validated as a man Where to where he moves to Ecuador in which, you know, he's kind of fulfilling the traditional roles that he's used to. And again, having these kind of covert affairs and really kind of like pushing his masculinity on Lucia as well. So, you know, he's he's got some some shit that he's going through as well. Um, and, you know, he's got his many faces, but you can't really blame him, like I said. Yeah, and I feel like Manuel's kind of in this like torture chamber inside because it's like he's only allowed one face in New York where he's you know, uh, subservient to others and, you know, has to has to kind of pander to whatever's going on so that he doesn't get caught seeing papeles. But then you also, when he moves to Ecuador, he's also trapped in this macho, macho man face that he's got to keep on all the time. And so it's kind of ironic that as the reader, we can see his many faces, but unfortunately Manuel doesn't actually have any tools or agency to really explore those many faces for himself. No, he's, he, he's not very, I want, I want to use the word emotionally intelligent, but that's probably not right. Cause I think emotional intelligence is definitely um, often learned and mm. he definitely just hasn't been given those tools. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you kind of see some of that tension when you get to his chapters. It, I enjoyed reading from his perspective also, because to be honest, I wasn't a huge fan. Um, but I found myself feeling a bit more empathetic towards him when, when you get to read from his perspective as well. Yeah, and he really is driven by the want to do the right thing. Um, Great movie. You know, <laughs> whether whether or not like you'd want to hang out with him like as a friend or not or like whether he's always actually doing the right thing is like questionable thing mm -hmm. but yeah but he he at least has that motivation and in that sense um you know he's he's definitely more relatable that's a good point abby um you making me you making me feel like i was harsh on him the whole book but you're right <laughs> <laughs> Super patient with the emotional intelligence piece, too. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I would say another kind of multi-faced character is Miranda. Um, poor Miranda. I feel like she's, like, teetering on the brink of a nervous breakdown the entire book. Um, yeah. You know, she poses herself as, like, the super responsible, rational sister. But you can definitely tell that she... You know, she's yearning and grasping for a bit something that was a bit more colorful in her life. And they talk about her stuffy finance jobs. And also she's she I didn't realize that she was going to be living in Providence. That was kind of cool. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because I, I she had a job at Brown or something. Yeah, right? go purple. Um, but so she <laughs> she I mean, she, I think she really envies her sister's creativity. So many of her living experiences are described as bland and stuffy and you know, it seems like from birth, she 
her sister brought out this other side of her and, and allowed her to kind of indulge in these other ways. And I think she really envies her sister's ability to love without barriers. Um, and like while she moves to Switzerland for a more also, we got to talk about this. What did you think about her man in Switzerland? Uh, no, he, I mean, yeah. I can understand like how they ended up together, but like I was bored out what? of my mind and I felt like he wasn't supportive and, so, but he was supportive, but not in the way that she needed him to be. Yeah, and I'm going to take it way back. He reminded me of Kurt from Americana. Oh. Remember the white boyfriend? Yes, he's totally right. Kurt. I, like, just this sort of, like, please adhere to my familial norms and... You know, here's the way that I want to love you and this is the way you should accept love and... I had some problems with him, but uh, I was also yeah, bored. You know, so she lived this quiet, orderly life in Switzerland, but like, you know, she was, her life was kind of made around her. I don't think she really played a huge role. You know, her stepson comes to live with them and she's going to all these family things. And I think she just really misses New York and the sheer wattage of the place, as she says, it's might, abundance, it's chaos, it's kinetic energy, a comfort somehow. Beautiful description by Lee there. Um, mm. And I think she misses the times before her sister's illness where she felt free. And we see this composed figure up front. But then when we see her discussions with, does he even have a name? Oh, Stefan. Yeah. When we see her discussions yeah. with Stefan, I mean, she's she's losing it. Yeah. And also, I, I can't help but think that if Lucia didn't have her illness, that Miranda would be different. You know, oh, yeah. she has to be steadfast because Miranda, or sorry, because um, Lucia isn't. And, you know, although I, I don't think she would be quite as vibrant as Lucia if given the chance, but I think she would be, you know, more wild and free and throwing caution to the wind a lot more. But because... Lucia has no caution whatsoever. She needs to be the one that kind of takes on all of that and perform that balance for the family, particularly since, you know, both her mother and father ha- have died. Yeah. So, you know, I do, I do feel bad for her because this, this responsible, rational person is kind of a, a face in and of itself. Yeah. And you see a lot of those kind of pangs of yearning whenever she's talking about Essie, her niece. And you, it's, you start to question, like, Miranda may have wanted a child. And I think she, for her, she yeah. was really deterred by the fear of not being able to provide or, or creating a child that suffers from a mental illness herself. So, yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, Abby. So let's switch gears a little bit to our fun game, Would You Rather? We haven't I played know. this in a while. This is good. I'm glad this is back in the rotation. Um, so, Abby, <laughs> would you rather live in Ecuador or stay in New York City with its chaos, kinetic energy? <laughs> uh, I think as much as, like, I loved the feeling of Ecuador in that first two weeks, and that would definitely be me, um, I I think the right decision would be to stay in NYC because I am not going to be doing, I'm not going to spend my entire day cooking breakfast, mm. lunch, and dinner um, 
Like, I think if I were able to kind of do what I pleased in Ecuador, that would probably be the place for me just because I'm, I'm a country girl at heart. And I, as, as much as I like love big cities, I also love wide open spaces. And, you know, that is really a piece of me as well. Um, but I need my independence and I need to be able to make my own decisions. And I also, you know, would love to be in that place where everybody else, as you said, is kind of bringing the best pieces of them. So I'm going to go with yeah. New York City. I, uh, I would have to agree. Um, honestly, I was done with Ecuador once Manny was like, oh, well, if we start a laundry company, what would all the women do? I was done. Yeah. <laughs> so oh. done. Ugh. Maybe if you and I started a comedy, yeah, like an all so women's. Funny. It could be like the beginning <laughs> of Wonder Woman, yeah. where we just create like female warriors. Yeah. I'd be down. Yeah, there's got to be like a Netflix documentary done <laughs> on it as well. Yeah, I should probably start going to like more yoga classes if I'm going to build an army. But <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. Manuel Ooh. or Yona? Um, yeah, Yona by far. I mean, Manuel is just like, he's lost. He's super young. He's lost. I think he's guided by the right light. But there's something about Yona's uh, view on the world. You know, he's so selfless. He's so generous. He's fun and thoughtful and creative and worldly. Um, Definitely Yona for me. How about you? Yeah, same um, and also I've, I've always like got a thing for the quirky mm-hmm. dude and Yona definitely checks that. Nice. That Love it. Um, so would you rather live with Lucia's sort of pinball energy or Miranda's steadfast logic? Oh, damn. I was hoping I wasn't <laughs> going to get this one. <laughs> as like, which would you prefer to have as a sister? Cause live with is like, or, or did you, or should we talk about if you'd rather have, Um, yeah, have, but who, so do I have to deal with the, um, other phases of the pinball energy or can I just choose the pinball energy? So I don't have to deal with the serpents, but I can just be like manic and creative Mm. all the time. Okay, sure. We can do that. Okay, I'm, I'm like bargaining with you. Um, so in that case, I'm just going to go pinball energy. Um, I just, I loved her creativity and her ability to really just experience everything in the world and all its gifts, I think, as you you said before so beautifully. Because, um, yeah, that's mm-hmm. awesome. And I know it might be exhausting. Um, and I do try to live my life like that. But then I also have this kind of like, rational side that you know kind of pulls me back and if I could just stop myself from pulling pulling myself back you know for like a month or something I would definitely go for it so I'm gonna go with Lucia's nice you know it's energy. funny how we want what we what we aren't I think for me I would go with the steadfast exactly. logic I think I'm a pretty rational person but you know Miranda is so good with detail like she plans the whole funeral. She calls all the doctors. She's got all the numbers. I mean, that's just something I do not possess. Like having that level of awareness of detail is, is a real challenge for me. I, and I think I kind of have that pinball energy. And sometimes I need to 
remember that I have to recharge because uh, it's really easy to become a yeah. to, to end up being like a rat on the wheel. So I'm going to go with the with the logic. So would you rather be friends with Nappy or Oh, Loco that's Coco? a good one. Um, so Nappy is like the mom. She meets a group. She seems sweet. I don't know, though. I like Loco Coco. I'd rather be friends with her. I feel like it'd be more interesting. Like, we could hit the club. She'd probably know everybody there, you know? <laughs> I loved how um, when they're at the beach and... I don't remember if it was Manuel that said it or someone else, but he was like, oh, yeah, Loco Coco is from when uh, Lucia was in a band. And then, like, that just automatically <laughs> explains, like, her crazy hair and her, like, erratic way of being. I loved that so much. It's hilarious. It's like, nope, she, they were in a mental institution together, but you can also They're just brush it over by being like, oh, yeah, she's in a band. Like, you know, those musician types. They're crazy. Yeah, and she has, like, one eye. She's, like, stabbed herself in the eye. Yeah, I also feel like she would have great stories. Yeah. You'd never have a dull moment. All right, Abby. So we are ticking towards one of uh, our show staples, controversy or nah. So, so today's question is brought to you by me. Sponsored <laughs> <laughs> by AJ for five dollars. So, <laughs> that's right. Thank donations um, so we got here. Does mental illness? have to change the way you love someone. So in other words, if you know that someone is dealing with mental illness, does it require you to alter the way you express your love and care for them? I mean, I can only speak from personal experience um, and and myself, but mm-hmm. I'm going to say yes, it does. Uh, as much as I want to say like, oh no, like unconditional love, blah, 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 blah. But I think, I think you have to completely change your perspective and the ways in which you show how you care. And of course it depends on the mental illness that um, the person is suffering from because each kind of requires something else. But um, in my experience with people that I love that have mental illness, I I almost think it require it it makes me love them more. Um, it makes me more um, aware of their emotions, more aware of you know how they might take something. It makes me um, want to spend more time with them, and like it's sad that it takes something as you know, tragic is mental illness to do that because you should be, you know, kind of treating your family and friends and the people you care about with that kind of consideration and no matter what. But I think that mental illness really does kind of require you to take a step back and really consider everything about your relationship with that person and, you know, how to make it best for them and to be supportive of them. So yeah, I'm going to say, yes, it, it does wow. change the way you Yeah. Someone. I think you answered that so well. And I, I couldn't agree more with you that it forces you to love with more pause and intention. But I, I honestly struggled with Miranda's watching Miranda's love change yeah. for her sister. And, you know, I, I think, I don't know if it was 
the way that Miranda was grappling with it herself, but she ended up being like more of a supervisor than an, you know, than a loving sister. Yeah, she was, she was an administrator in her sister's life. Right. And I felt like her love was, you know, her love language sort of changed. You know, she, she was more through service, through acts of service. But what her sister really wanted from her was just affirmation and gifts and, you know, um, real intimacy in terms of like sharing what's happening in one another's lives. Um, So I feel like Miranda becomes hindered by this wall. I mean, she doesn't even, because I think she she becomes afraid to even burden her sister with her own life. She doesn't ever share anything with her sister. You know, she's sort of like so afraid of this fragility. And part of what I thought was nice to see was a good contrast was with Nappy. Um, You know, she's like she just treats um, she just treats Lucia as, as a good friend and says, here's what's up with me. What's up with you? And I feel like Lucia doesn't receive that exchange from Miranda. So I think you're right. I think it does. I think it does require you to be more in tune and aware and sensitive, but I guess one can only hope that you can balance that with still being yourself and real and authentic in the relationship. Yeah, that's so true. And I think as you mentioned, I think there's quite a few times in the book where um, Lucia kind of references back to their childhood nicknames. And I don't remember what it was, but she just wants to go back to the way things were. And that's what she kind of really needs from her sister. But I guess in in Miranda's defense, you know, she is the sole caretaker, really. You know, there's no mother, father, other siblings around where you can kind of like, you know, deal with what you need to deal with, you know, the paperwork, the medications, things like that as kind of a group, but then really focus on your personal relationship as well. You know, she doesn't have that support. So it's like she needs to be everything for her sister. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on on Miranda for sure. Taking a look at our playlist for this month. So our our playlist features uh, songs about mental health, which, you know, I think like it's quite popular in common music or in uh, pop music to really kind of talk about that now, um, whether it's like outright or, you know, through some hidden metaphors and things like that. And some of these songs are dark, but a lot of them are quite fun and playful where the musician kind of takes ownership um, of their mental health and plows ahead, much like Lucia does in the book. So I don't want this to be a sappy, sad playlist because Lucia wouldn't want that. Yeah. And so many of our great artists and our great musicians i mean struggle with this stuff you can see the beauty that comes out of this like heightened sense of reality uh so the song that we've chose uh that we want to show for you today is called they know my name by big little lions which i i had never heard of them before doing this kind of research but it's an upbeat song with somewhat haunting lyrics where they sing about monsters hiding in my brain these monsters are hiding within my brain Which just really called to mind, you know, the serpents. 
but yet the upbeat tone of this song reminds us of Lucia's playfulness and, you know, how she just keeps going and despite in despite of her uh, struggles. So yeah, go check that one out uh, on Spotify. We always like to wrap up our show with community focus. Um, so, uh, you know, as we've discussed a lot here on today's podcast, the book, uh, Everything is Beautiful Here, centers around Lucia's mental illness. Um, mental health is such an important thing to be aware of, you know, not only in yourself, but in those around you. And we talked about how this affects people in our community every day. So we wanted to shine a light on uh, one particular organization looking to make a difference in the lives of Americans living with mental health conditions. And that would be the National Alliance on Mental Illness. You can definitely get involved through simply taking a pledge, donating, become a member, join a walk in your area. You can support the dialogue on mental health in this country, like literally just by talking about it. And we're not asking people to come out and, and share their most vulnerable stories. But, you know, if we want to get rid of the stigma, we've got to, we've got to make it commonplace to to discuss. Um, so talk about your experiences. Be there for someone who might be going through a rough time. Support systems really do make a huge difference. So reach out. And if you are struggling with mental health uh, issues, substance abuse, you know, and, and need some level of support, reach out to the, the SAMHSA Treatment Center, which is going to be, their phone number is one 800 662 four three five seven and that's pretty much their hotline and that's the substance abuse and mental health services administration so you've got support systems out there and you know i don't know about you abby but sometimes strangers give me so much strength in moments of of weakness and it can take anything from just a smile when i'm feeling really down on the street to you know calling someone for support so definitely if you feel like you need that resource please do not be afraid to use it yeah be bad do good Be bad, do good, everyone. Cool. We'll catch you next time, everyone, um, when we discuss our next surprise book of the month. Awesome. See you next time. See you next time. All of us.